All right. Uh, before we get started on today's sermon, I just want to give you guys a heads up. So after this sermon, you'll notice me running out of here. And the reason I am running out of here is because I'm going to preach at another church. Many of you are probably aware, some of you are not, that this church has chosen to remain within a denomination known as the United Church of Christ, that is the UCC for short. And the reason this church chose to stay in that denomination many years ago was that so that we could be a gospel witness within the UCC. Many UCC churches have walked away from traditional Christian orthodoxy. And so we view it as our calling, as our role, as part of who we are as a church to work to call those individual UCC churches back. Now, that's something that you can be praying for an ongoing basis. It's not something we necessarily give weekly updates on for a variety of reasons, but it is an important part of our mission as a church. And one way we have an opportunity to do that is many of these uh, UCC churches that are around us that you probably drive past in your local towns on a weekly basis are in very difficult straits in regards to their finances, in regards to having pastors to fill the pulpit, that sort of thing. So I have the opportunity today to preach at a church called Union Congregational, which is up in Amesbury. It's a church that finds itself in a very difficult position. And so that's why I will be leaving here immediately after uh, I preach. Um, I think it was already stated, but we also have some, some of our missionaries with us today, Ryan and Aaron Bennett from France, and they're going to be doing uh, a coffee immediately after the service today. And I would just encourage you guys to, to check in with them, to hear about the work that they are doing in France, which is another really important mission that this church supports. So that's just a couple of things. Uh, to kind of keep you guys updated in regards to what is going on here at Byfield Parish and how we are seeking to minister in the ways that God has called us to. For the past two summers here at Byfield Parish, we have done a sermon series that I titled Cognitive Behavioral Theology. This is a play on cognitive behavioral therapy. Some of you probably remember this, but it's also known as CBT. It's a form of psychiatric therapy used for addictions, phobias, and other maladies. The idea behind this therapeutic approach is to change the way people think and behave. The goal of good theology is the same. Theology is not strictly an academic pursuit. It is supposed to change the way we think and behave. Over the past two summers, we have focused on, specific, on a specific theological topic each week. The first summer, every topic was focused on God. All theology must start with God. Knowing what God says about himself is important. Last summer was focused on developing a theology of man. God made us. 
It is important to know what he said about who we are. We are created to be in relationship with him. We can't do that well on our own. Establishing what we believe theologically about God and man is important for other reasons as well. Such a theology is the basis for understanding Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. If you don't have a good theology of God or man, your theology of Christ isn't going to be very good either. This summer in our Cognitive Behavioral Theology series, our goal is to clarify our theology of Jesus Christ. In this endeavor, we will begin where one gospel writer famously began. That is, in the beginning. So if you will turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that is where we will begin. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 831. John, chapter 1, verses 1, and I actually think we're going through 5, through 5, sorry. Verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The fame of these verses is well-deserved. In just the first sentence, John does something astounding. He takes the knowledge his readers would have thought they have and builds on it while also addressing its incorrectness. Jesus makes himself known in language that can be grasped by human minds. Through these verses, we learn the truth. The truth that Jesus is co-eternal with God. The truth that he is God. Jesus created life. He sustains it. This means Jesus is the ultimate source of truth, not just about himself, but the world. To know truth, we must know Jesus. He is the Word. The Word is truth. The Word is God. If we want to live in accord with the truth, we have to know Jesus. John starts out his gospel using philosophical language his readers would have had some familiarity with. He knows how the people he is writing for think. 
This is what good teachers do. They build on the pre-existing knowledge of their students. Every person has what some educators call a schema. According to East Tennessee State University, a schema or scheme is an abstract concept proposed by Piaget to refer to our, well, abstract concepts. Schemas are units of understanding that can be categorized hierarchically as well as webbed into complex relationships with one another. Now that all sounds very academic. Basically all it means is that to learn new information, you need some existing body of knowledge to connect the new information to. Most know this, when we try to explain something new to someone, we establish what the person already knows and builds from there. The other day, I was trying to explain the sport of cricket to my younger kids. Now, I don't know that much myself about cricket, but I know a little bit, and I realize you know, there's one way to explain it. One way to explain it would be to go to the rule book. So I went to the rule book, and this is how it starts. Cricket is played on a rectangular pitch on which a wooden target called a wicket is sighted at each end. The wickets are placed 22 yards apart. Each wicket is made of three wooden stumps topped by two balls. I could have started that way. There's a couple of issues with that. For one, that statement doesn't even explain the game of cricket. It just explains a small bit about the surface that the game is played on. More importantly, it would have made zero sense to my younger kids. They would have walked away confused or immediately had more questions. What's a pitch? What's a wicket? What is a stump? I mean, they know what a stump is, but not in the context of a game. What's a bale? I don't know what a bale is, but apparently it's something in cricket. Instead of trying to explain what cricket is from scratch, I would just say, cricket is a sport kind of like baseball that people in England, Pakistan, and India like to play, and we could be done with that conversation. <laughs> Taking advantage of pre-existing knowledge is necessary for relaying new info. The Bible consistently communicates truth by taking advantage of information the original hearers already have. We refer to God as Father because God knew this was a way that we could understand our relationship to him. This does not mean that God has an XY chromosome, an elevated testosterone. It is an example of biblical authors using a pre-existing human schema to clarify a concept. The Gospel of John was written to people that were culturally Greek. For them, the word was a familiar concept that John uses to explain 
biblical truth his readers would not have had a pre-existing knowledge of. The Greek word translated in English as the word is logos. The same word from which we get our English word logic. In Stoic philosophy, logos was used to refer to the impersonal principle of reason which was thought to govern the universe. John takes this Greek concept and places it within a biblical framework. Verse one begins by saying, in the beginning was the word. Where else in the Bible have you heard a sentence that started with, in the beginning. Go back to Genesis 1.1. There it is written, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This Greek idea of logos, the word, is not foreign to Scripture. In fact, what his readers know in part, John wants to explain more fully. In some ways, when they talk about the word, they are on the right track, but they are missing the full truth, which is so much better. The full, amazing, blow-your-mind truth is that Jesus is the eternal word. He is this unknown intelligence that has been hypothesized about by philosophers for centuries. While this is clear from the verses we read today, Jesus' name isn't actually mentioned in these five verses. John is building to a big reveal. You can almost imagine his original readers being on the edge of their seats in anticipation is not until the end of verse 17 that Jesus' name is actually stated. There, John writes, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Despite the fact Jesus' name isn't mentioned in the verses we read, it is impossible to deny he is the word being spoken about. Jesus being the Logos means you can know the Logos. Greeks thought of the word as being this impersonal force. The Stoic way of living was rooted in their conception of Logos as this impersonal, undeniable force. Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor and famous Stoic, summed up this sort of thinking well when he said, choose not to be harmed and you won't feel harmed. Don't feel harmed, and you haven't been. A good Stoic was just supposed to accept what the impersonal Logos brought about. The word John is pointing to is not an impersonal force that controls the fates. He is a living being seeking loving 
relationship. The difference between these two positions is impossible to exaggerate. Moving from the impersonal logos of Greek thought to the personal logos of what John is describing would make a person have to rethink everything about how they approach the world, how they think, and how they live. To this point, we have only actually explored the first six words of today's verses. And we have still left so much unsaid. But John gives us a lot more to process before he has even completed his first sentence. He writes, And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. Jesus is not a new development. We think of history as having two large periods. There is before Christ, or BC, which is now referred to in academic circles as before Common Era, or BCE. Then there is after death, or AD, which is referred to in academic circles as Common Era, or CE. While I find the academic refusal to use B.C. and A.D. annoying, it doesn't change the basic facts. History, especially in Western thought, hinges on Jesus coming into the world. That doesn't mean Jesus didn't exist in 100 B.C or a thousand BC, or any time BC. There's actually no such time as before Christ. There is only the time before Christ came into this world. Jesus is co-eternal with God. This fact weirds a lot of people out. The idea that God is eternal seems obvious. Jesus being eternal with God causes a bit of a double take. Jesus being co-eternal forces us to try to get a better handle on the relationship between Father and Son. This inevitably leads to questions about the Trinity. John knows the questions that will arise. He knows his Greek readers would want to know more. To clarify further, he makes a giant leap. Jesus existed with God because he always was God. Wait, the same guy that walked around on the earth? Yes, that same guy. Jesus was born of woman. He grew up as a man. In some way, that man was also God. This truth changes our understanding of God. Even today, 
people struggle with the implications of Jesus being God. This leads many to deny that Jesus is God. Next week, we are going to return to John as we continue this series, and we will explore the idea that Jesus is God in greater depth. And hopefully we'll understand better, but we will not get to the bottom of it. At some point, all we can do is marvel. The Word was God. Jesus is God. As God, Jesus created and sustains this world, which means he is the ultimate source of truth about the world. We could spend this time talking about how amazing it is that Jesus created the world. That would be an excellent use of our time. Think about the most amazing natural phenomenon you've ever experienced. Maybe it was a sunrise on the ocean. For some, it was the Grand Canyon, Old Faithful, or the view from the top of Mount Washington. Jesus created those things with God. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. We should be impressed with what Jesus has created, especially with man, his greatest creation. Humanity is Jesus' greatest creative act. As much as we stand in awe at the splendor of the natural world. We are God's, we are Christ's greatest creation. The fact that Jesus sustains the world is no less impressive. I don't know about you, but I have trouble keeping my lawnmower running. It seems like every summer I find myself maniacally yanking on a cord trying to get the mower started to no avail. A week or so before I left for vacation, I pulled it and the cord ripped right off, right out of it. I'm just holding a cord. Jesus keeps the whole world spinning. Every life is dependent on him. In spite of how poorly humans care for the world, Jesus makes sure our destructiveness doesn't end human existence completely. What I really want to end on is the fact that Jesus is the true word. As Orthodox Christians, we are people of the book. We turn to the Bible, to Scripture. For truth. Doing so is totally valid. It is what we should do. Jesus himself would have encouraged us to do so. The most important truth of the Bible is that it points to the ultimate source of truth. 
which is Jesus Christ. There is more about Christ than can be written in the pages of Scripture. Jesus must be experienced relationally. The Bible itself acknowledges this. At the end of the Gospel of John, in chapter 21, verse 25, the author concludes the book saying, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The Bible doesn't have all truth within its pages. Jesus has all truth within his being. The Bible points us towards the ultimate source of truth. It tells us where truth comes from. All truth is God's truth. To know the truth fully, we must know Jesus completely. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Through having a relationship with Jesus, we can live in the light of truth. The alternative is living in the darkness, stumbling around, trying to find our way forward, hoping that we are not prey to the evils that live in darkness. Jesus the light brought his light into our world so that we could stop living in darkness. Those who have experienced the light of Christ will think and act differently. We should be people of the light. Consider your thoughts and actions. Do you live your life in the light of the Word? Do you shine the light of Christ on the desires of your heart, or do you try to hide them safely away in darkness? As Christians, we are saying that Jesus is the underlying explanatory mechanism for all of existence. He is the Word, truth personified, the logic by which we live our lives. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God, we can deny this fact, we can choose some other lies of this world, but we are choosing death when we do so. We are choosing a world that is passing away due to the forces of chaos inducing sin. Jesus came into this world so our thoughts and actions could be based on truth. He used authors like John to communicate who he was using the language of the dead. Jesus takes our partial grasp of truth and corrects it. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. 
If we want to know the truth, we must know him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our understanding of the truth is always partial and incomplete. We do not know the truth fully, Lord, but we know that Jesus does. I pray that you would be with us, that we would seek truth in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would continue to pour out the knowledge of Christ on us, Lord, that we would desire it and that it would shape our lives, it would shape our thoughts, and it would shape our actions, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity that it gives us to live life in the light. Pray that you'd be with us in all these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.